0: CHAPTER ONE OF WHAT THE BOYS DID OVER THERE, BY HENRY FOX. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. MY EXPERIENCE AS A DISPATCHER BY PRIVATE JESSE W. WADE, NUMBER 151023, DISPATCH Rider, AEF. I enlisted in the U.S. Army some five years ago, and have had continuous service ever since. Being in the army before the war broke out enabled me to know something about both sides of army life. But peace times and war times are as different as day and night. One war is enough for any man, so now I am ready to settle down. But before I do, I will endeavor to tell you some of my experiences in this great war overseas. Being already in the Army, but in a branch of the service that was not likely to go over among the first, I volunteered to go with the first contingent as a dispatcher. We started the first leg of our journey across the Atlantic, and then we began those anxious nights of watching for submarines and that awful seasickness for some twelve days at last we set our feet on solid ground again and started our long journey across france in some french cattle cars marked eight horses or forty men about three days in one of those and one really believes there is a war going on somewhere We were all very much disappointed when we were all landed a long way from the front and told we would stay there until we were trained in modern warfare. But all being blue-blooded Americans, we took it very easy, building camps and getting things ready for the other boys that were coming. The small village near our camps was full of our boys every night. Mum's extra-dry champagne was selling at two and a half francs per quart, 49 cents U.S. It wasn't very long before our boys were taking baths in champagne. After having a few weeks of camp life, there were 50 men picked out to go to the English front to receive instructions in modern warfare. I was among the lucky ones, and then the fun of war began. We were sent to one of the most active British fronts, and there we lived in the trenches night and day for two months. There I began to realize that Sherman's words were only too true. Anyone who never had the misfortune to be in Flanders up around Ypres at the time will never know the hardships that the British and a few Americans had to go through. We stood it wonderfully well, though. We could have enjoyed ourselves much more on Broadway. But the French say, c'est la guerre. It's the war. We had been in the trenches some three weeks before we had the opportunity of going over the top. One's feelings the first time he goes over the top can never be known to anyone but himself. One will be dozing on the firing step, and the platoon leader comes around and whispers in your ear to get ready. The time is set for 1.13 a.m. You can hardly talk above a whisper, for the least noise draws fire from the enemy. As the time draws near, you look at your watch and see that you have only seven or eight minutes. Yet you almost sink down, and it seems as though the bones have gone out of your legs and back. The time is getting short, and at last the big guns open up, and something just seems to push you up and over. Before you are aware of what is happening, you are out on no man's land acting like a veteran. After one or two of these successful raids, you do not think war is so bad after all. It is real fun, but you have not seen enough of it yet. Tommy says, wait till you have three years of it, and you'll be bloody well sick of it, Sammy. One year was enough to make me sick of it. Another very pleasant job is to crawl out on no man's land some dark night on patrol dragging yourself along on the ground, an inch at a time, for fear of being heard and fired upon, and just as you think everything is going fine, you run over a twig and break it. It snaps and sounds like a ton of dynamite going up, and then they send up a star shell to light up no man's land, and you begin to say your prayers then all is quiet again and you finish your work and feel your way back to the trench there is never a happier moment than when you drop back in your own trench safe and sound among friends it was on one of the patrols that i got my first wounds i was sent out about one thirty a m with a patrol of english to do some very ticklish work And in cutting our way through some wire entanglements the wire snapped and made a ringing noise and the germans opened up on us throwing everything at us but their shoes we were giving them a receipt for all they sent us until all at once i began to feel sick and my arm became numb i almost collapsed but i knew that that was no place to act like a girl and faint "'so I began crawling back toward our trench. "'It was hard to do, having only one hand free, "'but at last I crawled into the trench "'where I found another horror waiting. "'Our trench was full of gas, "'and I did not have my gas mask on, "'and as I got one breath of it, I was finished, "'and the next thing I knew I was back in a nice little bed "'between two white sheets With a little blonde nurse smiling down at me i thought that i had died and that i was in heaven until i heard a tommy say where in hell is me fags and then i knew i was not in heaven but was not sure i was alive yet at last i found out i was for about thirty minutes later the gas began to make me sick gas sickness is the worst sickness in the world After three weeks in bed, I was getting along fine, and was sent to a convalescent hospital. There we had the time of our lives for two weeks, when we were sent back to duty. It was just like a homecoming to get back with our own boys again after everyone thought you were dead. Everything ran along smoothly for a while, until I was detailed as a dispatch rider, one of the most dangerous jobs in the army the average term of a dispatcher's life is just twenty-three minutes so you can't blame me for taking out ten thousand dollars worth of life insurance at first it was not so dangerous for our troops had not yet taken over any part of the line but we had to make trips to the front every day or two at last we were ordered into the line and took over a sector of our own and a prouder bunch of boys was not to be found we were then doing what we had come over to do everything was quiet for the first few months except for an occasional raiding party we spent the hardest winter i ever put in or ever want to and if it had not been for the cooties we should have frozen but they kept us scratching and moving and kept our blood in circulation. At last spring came and things became more active as we were getting more men on the front. On the 18th day of July, 1918, it was just like turning out a bunch of hungry lions, for they turned us loose and said, go get them. We have been getting them ever since. At Chateau Cheery, we began driving them back so fast that they threw the Prussians and Bavarians at us, all big fellows six foot and over and very wicked fighters. Being a dispatch rider, I was around some point of the line most all the time and had the opportunity to go over the top with the boys when not otherwise occupied. Once in a while the dispatch riders would be given 24 or 48 hours off, during which we could do as we pleased. Most of us went up in the line, and over the top with the boys, or those who had any qualifications, as a shot would go out with a sniping squad, which was very interesting as well as dangerous. At one time I had the pleasure of going up in an observation balloon and seeing the fighting from the German side. I have seen with my own eyes German officers driving their men into battle with the whip or the point of a gun. I have also seen some of the atrocities committed by the Hun in Belgium and along the borders of France it just makes one's blood run cold to think of it as some of you do you ask why a boy wants to stand up and be shot down by those dogs i'll tell you why it is because he doesn't want his own mother or sister to be treated as the belgians and french women and girls have been treated Every man, woman, and child owes the deepest respect to any boy who has done his bit in the World War. Now to get back to the Battle of Chateau-Cherie and tell you a few of my own experiences. In that battle, one of the most thrilling experiences happened to me. The fight began at 3.30 a.m., July 26th. I had just ridden up to a section of our line where the enemy had started a box barrage, which it is almost impossible to get through alive and is almost like madness to attempt. At this time it was important that a certain message be delivered at the rear. Such a message is sent with from two to six riders, so that one of them will be sure to get through. There were five of us there at the time but owing to the fact that I had just come back from a trip The message was sent by the other four riders We watched them, but not one of them got through the barrage Then the commander looked at me and I looked at him He didn't say anything, but his look had words in it written in big letters saying it's up to you I'll admit that I was scared not the cowardly kind but a different kind of fear i once heard a general say that a soldier's life was made up of four parts smiles and tears profanity and prayers and i think i executed all four of them at the same instant IT WAS ONLY A DELAY OF A FEW MOMENTS AS HE HAD THE FIFTH MESSAGE ALREADY WRITTEN OUT AND IN HIS HAND, SO I JUMPED ON MY MACHINE, GRABBED THE MESSAGE, AND WAS GONE BEFORE HE KNEW WHAT IT WAS ALL ABOUT. I DELIVERED THE MESSAGE WITHOUT A SCRATCH, BUT I THINK I WAS INSANE AT THE TIME, FOR IT ALL SEEMS LIKE A DREAM. IT WAS NOTHING SHORT OF A MIRACLE. The fighting was very heavy for some days after that, and there was a similar case that occurred shortly afterward. This time I was the only rider at hand, and I had to go. But rather than take another chance with the barrage, I could go across a corner of No Man's Land and circle around to the left. This avoided the barrage, but I had to face the enemy machine-gun fire which was very heavy. I started out on my last trip as a dispatcher and was not seen until going over a slight rise when the enemy saw me. They opened up on me and threw everything at me but iron crosses. The machine gun was the worst, but after three minutes of hard riding over rough ground, shell holes, and craters, I was out of range of the machine guns. Then they began throwing the larger guns at me. My machine was riddled with bullets. The engine was about out of commission, but as I was through the worst of it and was shaking hands with myself on how lucky I had been, I realized that I had been hit in the leg, and after the excitement had died down, I was so weak I could not sit on my machine again. Good luck came along in the shape of a Frenchman, and he helped me to headquarters some five hundred yards away I delivered the message and then collapsed and a few days later awoke in a French hospital in Paris Since then I have been having the time of my life and am back in the dear old u.s. Now almost well but willing to go through it all again for the same cause end of chapter one